You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome, dear friends, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. This is the show for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little deeper into life than you may do on your own, offering you a unique perspective from both worlds at the same time. I'm Callie Alpert here in the Central Hudson Valley in New York with my dear friend, co-host, and spiritual psychotherapist extraordinaire. Whoa. Step on that, Steve Hassenberg. Step on the gas. (laughs) Why not? It's time, Right? right? Gorgeous out here today. Oh, good. I'm so glad. It's California. It's always gorgeous. It's always beautiful. (laughs) <laughs> it was a whiteout last night, so I couldn't see anything. And that's oh. and that's a lot of fun, too. Oh. But I woke up today feeling mm-hmm. incredibly present. <laughs> For a change. <laughs> I'm so glad. You know why? why? Because today we are launching our holiday series. This is a series hey. that's going to take us through... And out of 2000, uh, 2021, I'm like, what year is it? We're doing a holiday series called The Legendary Personal Growth Books to Get You Through the Holidays. And today we're featuring The Power of Now, the teachings of Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now was spawned by an instantaneous life or death decision that he made during the depths of his depression. Today, his life-saving wisdom has given a whole new awareness to the idea of being present and how, the deepening, and how deepening that awareness can get us through unimaginable challenges. So we're going to break down the core tenets of the book. We're going to share some personal insights and stories, as we do, and we're going to try to offer a fresh twist on Tole's solutions for getting us out of our heads and more into the moment. Hmm. Now, I... I think I can probably speak for both of us, but this book, you know, it's a seminal book in the personal development space. And I think we're both great fans of it. It's been a while since I've read it. So full disclosure, I don't think you did either. We didn't reread it in, you know, in anticipation of doing it. I show. did read it twice though. Yeah. I might've read it twice back in the day. Um, and it was such a, the idea, you know, now, I mean, it's so common, be present, be mindful, stay in the present. It's such common vernacular, in most circles of personal development and meditation and mindfulness, but to have it written and kind of spelled out and concretized in the way that he does in this book is like a whole different thing, I think, right? Um, So let's start with why it's important to be in the present. (laughs) It's so vast and so simple all at the same time. Okay. I'm going to make this juicy. Oh, please do. So, in the case of um, Eckhart Tolle, and in the case of Byron Katie, and actually in the case of Buckminster Fuller. Oh, right. You like to add him to the list. Yeah. Uh, each of these individuals, prior to their like instantaneous, spontaneous liberation, <clears throat> were suffering from very deep depression Mm -hmm. to the point of feeling suicidal. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember what Eckhart Tolle said. I don't know if he said it in that book, but after he had his awakening, which came after he wanted to have his ending, Mm He sat in the park in London for almost a year on the same bench 
not knowing what he was going to do with his life. But he was in a state of equanimity, harmony, peace, and there was nothing at all that he felt he needed to do. Wow, I don't know that I remember that. Did he, What was it that drew him to even be compelled to do that? To sit on a bench? Yeah, to sit on the same bench every day. I believe he was a student either at Oxford or Cambridge, and the whole thing didn't make sense to him after that. And he just found this bench. He didn't care if he ate. He didn't care about anything. And he just sat there every day, then went back to his apartment. So what I was going to say was that all three of these individuals were suffering from deep despair. Right. And that deep despair is like a very dark cloud that shields and hides the sun. And we're going to use the sun right now as the presence of awareness. Mm, beautifully poetic. Thank you. Yeah. And just um, so people, um, just for some context, Byron yeah. Katie is also a great teacher, personal development, um, luminary, author, and, um, and creator of the work. That's her brand, which um, in a nutshell has to do with checking your thoughts and really digging into how true they are or how not true they are, which is really what we're going to get more deeply into. And Buckminster Fuller, he had a lot of different titles, didn't he? He was a uh, extraordinary architect. Right. Okay. Who created what we know now as the geodesic dome. Oh, yes. Thank you for that. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's interesting because all of them had suicidal ide ideations or attempts, deep depression. And like you said, because we, we talk about this a lot, <laughs> especially when I'm moaning about how much work it takes to try to, you know, find some sense of freedom or spiritual enlightenment or whatever words we want to use. And then we're always reminded that for most people, it's not the way it happens. And the instantaneous breakthrough is a very, very rare thing. And Certainly, we wouldn't wish on anybody what they had to go through before to get there. But it's just interesting how everybody's rides are predetermined in different ways on the road to nirvana, right? So, I'm kind of into this at the moment. So, <laughs> Buckminster Fuller was a very flamboyant dresser. Mm -hmm. And um, he went to this lake, and I forgot where he was, maybe Minnesota, Wisconsin. And he made a decision he was going to drown himself. And uh, everything, nothing was going well for him. And uh, he started walking into the water and this voice came to him and it said, stop. Wow. And he stopped and the voice said, you have a great deal to give to this planet stop dressing like you're dressing wow and we want you to dress like a second-rate bank clerk and just <laughs> just go on with your business <laughs> that's so interesting and did he change his ways after that in terms totally. of his, uh, style oh that's so interesting i don't i don't know that story <laughs> um yeah it's 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 interesting it's definitely interesting um how we all come to this and again like the deeper you get into your reading and your learning and your practice and your process, the more you learn, at least first intellectually, that the present moment is all we have. There's that old adage, um, what is it? The oh, I'm going to butcher it. <laughs> it has to do with all we have, like the future is X, Y, Z, the past uh -huh. is whatever, and the, and the present is a gift. It's sort mm -hmm. of a play on the idea of present and presence. Um, but I can't recall the whole adage right now. So let's talk about why the power of now really needs to be practiced and how it can apply to everyday life. Um, you have a great metaphor, which is that if we don't practice the idea of presentness, that we, the alternative is that we live like we're standing inside a 150 mile per hour, like gale winds, just trying to stay still and upright. Right, right. What we were talking about together in our 
a very exciting pre-production meeting. <laughs> very formal pre-production meetings. Right. Was how difficult it is, even though so many books now are about being present. And as you said, people are talking about it how difficult it is to be present because presence means one thing without thoughts. Mm. What does it mean to be without thought? Mm -hmm. What does it be? What does it mean to be without desire? Yeah. Regret. Worry. Mm -hmm. Worry. Projection. Planning feelings of all kinds that take us over moment by moment mm. right yeah. so to be without that is so difficult have you ever timed how long you can go well here's the thing when i'm in meditation i can be present for a long long time yeah it's not to say that some thoughts don't uh sneak in Mm -hmm. but they're they're very faint and being is very loud mm. good for you thank you <laughs> i practiced for a long time you to have get practiced there. for a long right. time so it's well earned thank um, you i neglected to say that if anybody would like to join the conversation today call in with thoughts comments questions ideas about the book the number is 816-251-3555. Please join us, 816-251-3555. Um, yeah, I've, you know, I joke when I say, have you ever timed it? I definitely know what it feels like to be present. And I also know what it feels like to not be present. And it's those that space in between where you start sort of drifting and you're conscious that you have to pull yourself back. Um, that I think is what takes the most work on some level. And it's pretty yummy, like that place where you're not really, I mean, when I'm meditating and I can really drop in, is um, it's just kind of delicious. You know, Timothy Leary um, talked about, I'm thinking <laughs> drug reference, when talking about MDMA um, or ecstasy, when he was um, experimenting with that back in, I guess it was probably the late 70s, maybe, before it, would become, it became illegal, like in the early 80s, maybe. You mean Kim? Tim Leary, yeah. Late 60s, was early 70s. Okay, I yeah. thought that, okay. Anyway, he writes about the eternal present. And not that I'm suggesting that anybody needs drugs to feel this way, but that's something that he, you know, he identified as attached to his experimentation with that particular drug. Um, and having explored that particular drug many years ago, I know, you know, what that feels like. And so, um, when you can try to create it now without any sort of, you know, artificial aids, except your meditation practice, it's a really amazing thing and so powerful. Um, you use the word delicious. I did. I do like that word as an adjective for things that are not obviously, you know, don't obviously fit into that. Did you have a, a delicious experience? <laughs> I did have. I've had a lot of delicious experiences. Yeah. <laughs> um, I use sexy and for an, as an adjective in ways that most people don't. Also, uh -huh. I can just, you know, for me, a room could be sexy. So um, let's say let for a minute why it why it is delicious. Great question. I need to get present to answer that. <laughs> I would say um, there's a softness around it. Mm -hmm. And this is interesting. I've never described this before. This is an interesting exercise. There's a softness and an ease and a spaciousness is probably the biggest word mm -hmm. um, that feels really safe and tasty. Yeah. I would say that's my first answer. I love that answer. Yeah. How does it feel for you when you're feeling present? Well, that's, I would agree with all of those. Yeah. And I was going to say the reason that it feels that way is because we're opening to our true nature. Mm -hmm. We're opening to the eternal in us. We're opening to the timeless in us. We're opening to, as you were used the word, spaciousness. And so as we get closer to our true, true nature, we're already more and more present. Right. 
and it's delicious. <laughs> um, it is, yeah, it's definitely true. Um, if what we're all seeking is peace and inner peace, then being completely present in every moment is really the way. And when ego enters the picture, that's what derails us, right? Because we're either ruminating about the past, speculating about the future. When I was writing the word ego uh, on our notes earlier today, I was thinking about Wayne Dyer, our other beloved teacher um, and author and all around great personal development icon. And he used to call ego um, the state where you're edging God out. So it's sort of to your point, it has to do with the idea of how much our brains and our inner narratives can derail us. So if we sort of approach the idea of being more present from that perspective, I think it's helpful. So that's one of um, Eckhart's main points, right? Mm -hmm. In the power of now, that what prevents us from experiencing presence is the uh, very busy and excitable ego. Mm -hmm. It is busy. Isn't it busy? And when people, I think we should talk a little bit more about ego, yeah. which actually he, he talks about a lot in his other book, The New Earth. He really speaks right. a lot about the concept of, of ego, which was very um, uh insightful and mind-opening for me because ego a lot of people when they think of ego oh someone's boastful and they're full of themselves but ego really encompasses everything that's not the present and encompasses fear it encompasses anxiety it encompasses insecurity and it and it encompasses all of our narratives it really encompasses everything that has to do with the busyness that is our brain right yeah i, I guess that's right and the way i've always thought about ego is in, and not in a uh, negative or pejorative way, but as a way to make us feel like we are unique and we are individuals and we are separate from other people. Mm. And all of that is so important in terms of being human. And at the same time, if we suffer from a lot of insecurities and fears, the ego's there to help us um, protect ourselves from what we would consider to be outside threats. So it can make us very small. And so it's funny. On one hand, ego is oh, it's so egotistical. On the other hand, is ego is making us feel so small. Mm. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely interesting. Again, it's all interesting. <laughs> Isn't it? Um, the idea that that could be limiting, but it also can be protective. Absolutely. And, and like, where's that, where's that line, right? Absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the key tenets of the power of now. There are so many. Um, I'm having a little bit of a flashback to when the book came out. My father was going through a really rough time. He basically lost his business, um, at least when I was reading the book. I don't know if it was the year that the book came out. Um, and I gave him this book and my dad not being predisposed to spiritual woo, -woo anything I've, I've later learned, I've learned now in recent years, like that something about his simplicity is actually wildly spiritual, but he, I wouldn't, you know, it's not an adjective anybody would use for him. Um, and I remember giving him this book and trying to explain to him that like, there's, you know, I, I remember, I think I was standing next to him and we looked at the floor and I said, okay, look at that crack on the flooring, like between the tiles of his floor or wherever. And I said, you know, if you can stand on that line and you don't, and you try not to go right before it or right after it, but you just stand right on that line, that's like the present moment. I was trying to like paint a sort of visual metaphor for him. I don't know that it worked, but I was just, I, I like it though, talk, you know, as we're talking about it. So the key tenets of power of now, number one, only the present is real. Mm, wow. Now, again, such a huge statement, highly <laughs> simplified statement. Getting there isn't so simple. Um, what does it mean? What does it mean that the present is real? Well, I think for me, it means, again, that it's really the only thing that actually exists. Because even two words ago that I just said, or what I'm about to say, don't exist in the actual moment that I 
just found a moment of silence, right? Right. Um, and so there's something, the exercise of trying to stay in that place is fascinating, you know? Um, but I would say that's why the present is real because nothing else really exists. I think it's just a matter of, again, trying to find more space and witnessing of what our minds do. Right. Do you think that the present is only the present is real? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> hmm. I didn't expect a no from you. Well, I say yes and no because I've had a lot of issues with this over the years. Um, and then I got to the point where I realized that there are different levels of reality. There may be a fundamental level of reality, which is real, which I would say is true. Mm-hmm. But that all the other levels of reality are also true depending on where you are in your consciousness. So if you're in Syria and a war is going on, mm-hmm. you would never say to somebody, guess what? This isn't real. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's real is inside. Now that's true. But I came to the conclusion that I had to respect the reality that each person was experiencing. Mm-hmm. And that re- reality was very, very important to them. And that reality was real. So I now say there are multiple levels of reality with one fund- fundamental level of reality. But even in that example, and we'll get to this a little bit later too, how you can be present and embrace the moment when you're going through a really difficult time or you're in the middle of something catastrophic or dramatic, right. or, dramatic or death, uh, life or death. I mean, that's a whole other animal. And that's kind of, I think, the analogy that you're trying to propose here. But isn't it that even if you're in, God forbid, the middle of a serious war zone, there is a present inside of that? Correct. So you're just saying that it's more difficult to find that moment, like that quiet moment that's not part of the actual outside noise and circumstances around you. Yeah, I'm just saying that for most people on the planet, mm-hmm. when we say there's only one reality, it's hard to understand. I see what you mean. Okay. So, so reality is being created by us, mm-hmm. depending on our level of consciousness. So an enlightened being in a war zone and I, I, I really know a light, an enlightened being who used to go to war zones wow. and, and try to foster peace. And he would go through these war zones. Uh, I can say who it is. Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, who I followed for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he would go to these war zones, as did Mother Teresa, by the way. Mm-hmm. And they would go through as if nothing was happening. They were just in full presence, in full peace, a smile on their face, bullets flying overhead, and they were just on their mission. Amazing. So that speaks to the bigger picture of what we're trying to offer up here today, which is about um, the within versus the without concept. The idea that true presence and true peace really does exist inside of us the goal being to not be, to be pretty impervious, if not fully impervious, if you're highly enlightened, masterful being like the two of them are, or were, or are and were, um, (laughs) one's alive and one's in the afterlife. Um, but to be impervious to external circumstances, we've talked about it on the show a lot. The idea of sort of the feel, right? Feel dependence and field interdependence. One being where you're sovereign and you have equanimity or mostly equanimity from what's happening externally and then when you don't when your mind gets the best of you and is racing and anxious and caught and so I think one of the things we're trying to sort of offer here is that a lot of this has to do with just making more space and we're going to give you um, offer some ways that people can do that too as we go a little further along in the show um so also, let's see, only the present is real. The other tenet is ego prohibits inner peace. We are consumed in thought. So we sort of broached this already a little earlier. Um, but our minds are, I mean, I, I know I don't like to say our minds are our enemy, but they sort of are our biggest um, obstacle to 
enlightenment to peace to freedom to whatever word we want to use aren't they well yeah there are challenge and there are opportunity so for me people don't understand the operating system i think the buddhists got it right the tibetan buddhists got it right and uh Taoists got it right there are a lot of indigenous uh, philosophies that got it right we can talk about that on the way back and I can talk about what do, what do I mean by got it right? Well, what do you mean by got it right? I have no idea. <laughs> okay, we can propose that. Um, no, so I'm I, happy to talk about it. Well, give me a little bit. Tease it up a little. Well, the idea is that they had an operating system. Uh, the Buddhist operating system has so much to do with mindfulness. Right and stepping back from the ego, stepping back from the thoughts and feelings that are spinning at high speeds through our mind. And as we step back, learning about ourselves. Is that a good segue? I like that, yeah. I think that really sets it up nicely. So when we come back, we're gonna talk more fully about um, Buddhist first tenant of the, the first noble truth. And we're gonna talk more about creating space and finding the power of now. We'll be right back. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome back, everyone. We have we are launching our holiday series, the legendary personal growth books to get you through the holidays. And today we are talking about the power of now, the teachings of our beloved Eckhart Tolle. Um, before we take a caller, I just wanted to land our thought that we um, started before the break, which was about the first of the four noble Buddhist truths, because it has to really do with it's probably one of the best embodiments of what it means to get present. And it has to do with not Callie attaching to... Go, go ahead. ahead. Callie is looking at me. <laughs> yeah. So Buddha's first noble truth, which I, I think really is a summation of almost everything we're talking about. It is. Is the greatest human suffering comes from attachment to that which is transitory. And the most transitory thing going on here are our thoughts. Which is basically everything, everything, all our circumstances, our experiences with people, our thought, like everything is transitory, um, which really is the greatest reminder that the only thing that's not is our essence, which is why we're in grateful support of trying to grow that reserve that, as you call it, base camp inside of us, that is our pure essence. That's reliable and that doesn't change. I mean, right. it can flow with the wind based on what's happening in our lives, but that's sort of our overarching sort of um, suggestion, tenant, guidance for today. Um, so let's take our caller. Caller, hi. Are you there? Hi, I am. Can you hear me? Hi. What's your name and where are you calling from? Um, I'm Nikki, and I'm calling from San Diego. Hi, Nikki. Thanks hi, for Callie. joining us hi, today. Steve. Hello. Are you familiar? Oh, thank you so much. That's kind. Thank um, you. Are you familiar with this book or have you given the idea of presence of mind and body thought along the way? Yes. Speaking of thought. Yes, I have. Um, I did read the book uh, long ago. Uh, mm -hmm. I won't say that I read the whole book, um, but I read parts of it. And so... Um, you know, and of course, it's thought of mindfulness and being in the present and all that. So great topic. I am. OK, I get nervous when I call you guys. So let me take a breath. <laughs> um, I no reason to be nervous. Well, 
Thank you. Oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't take my share of breaths. So just really quick before I even proceed, did you say that, okay, you said one thing is that um, it, the, the present is the absence of thought. Is that what you said, yes. Steve? Yes. Okay, the absence of thought. And then when you read the first thing before you went to break, um, I, did you say that the, the present is real or the present is not real? We were the saying pre- that the present is the only thing that's real right. in an absolute fundamental okay. way. Okay, great. And so that already leads like to some confusion because then like the Marianne Williamson, which is the show isn't about that, but saying that nothing, the, 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 the nothing is really real. So um, I guess my challenge is, yes, I'm always trying to be in the present, not in the past, not in the future. And it seems there's sort of a different level of it. So like I will try to be okay. Today's Thursday. I'm here. I'm present. It's Thursday. It's not three years ago, and it's not you know Thanksgiving, which I'm afraid I'm going to be alone on. That's not here yet. We're in today, and today you're mm-hmm. okay. Well when said. I take it to, <laughs> I'm looking for an invite just in case. But anyway, <laughs> but Wenzel um, Radio, the social um, and dating service, is going to be what we what we. Yes. One eight hundred. Call Nikki for Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay, um, but I. But seriously, I really suffer with this issue on a really serious level because I, without go, I won't go into details. But I had an injury that happened. It happened to me years ago. So, but uh, every single day, and I'm not exaggerating. Pretty much every moment that I am awake, this thing, condition, whatever, causes me physiological discomfort, pain, whatever, limits. So I'm I'm literally in the moment not happy, not not good things happening. And I don't even mean my mm-hmm. thoughts. And I get then that's another layer that I can add or not add is like why and this and all my thoughts about it. Right, so but in the current present moment, you know, in some way I don't want to be there. But it's okay. So that injury also has taken away lots of my future, my dreams, my hopes, my abilities. Okay, so it'd be one thing if I'm sitting here thinking about the injury that happened in the past, but it's Mm -hmm. not affecting me now. And it'd be another if I'm thinking about the future, what it's taken away from me to probably have. And I do go there a lot. But in this moment, Mm -hmm. it is hurting, harming, distressing, paining me. Now, sometimes I can get really intricate and go, okay, close your eyes. In this moment, just lay there, touch the fabric. Okay, the fabric is soft. I'm okay in this moment. Like, on a different level, I'm okay. There's a roof, and I'm breathing, and I'm not in a war. So, okay. I hope right. you can figure out my question. Yeah, no, we, I get very torn. Un- yeah, I totally understand. It's sort of, I, I think, what I'm hearing, because we talked about this during our pre-production meeting, because I was wondering, this is one that... I know Eckhart talks about toward the end of the book when there's something. It's like, like if the if now is you bad, like what do you right, do? You know, now is bad, right. not just. Okay, right, and I'm we understand quiet. when there's no space because every moment is difficult, and there's really not even a nanosecond of space to create around that. Um, Steve, do you want to do you want to take that one? Oh sure. And I so, think that's what I try to do, Callie, is create even nanoseconds. You know. But right. Go ahead. Understood. We yeah. We hear you. Okay. So Thank you for that. I'm working with a client who has maybe terminal cancer. We're not sure mm-hmm. yet, and um, he has a lot of pain, and that's pretty persistent day and night. Mm-hmm. And what we're working on together are two things, among others. One of them is when he has moments to try to find gratitude the things that are are still working in his life the parts of his body that are still healthy the things that he can rely on and then secondly to focus when he can on both receiving and giving love and knowing that that love that he gives and receives surpasses his material experience and that love that he gives and receives comes from the divine 
And that even though he's in pain and even though he may die, he has an experience of expanding and growing his love during this time. So we're working on that. I don't say that it's going to work for everybody. Yeah, that's a tall order. That's deep, deep, deep work right there. But we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And he's actually succeeding. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of this has to do with a commitment. Even when we're in pain, even when we're in deep stuff to keep going and knowing that what exactly what Eckhart said, that there is a presence behind all of this that is real and it's sustaining and if you can touch into it from time to time, it's also very supporting. How does that feel to hear, Nikki? Yeah, it's it, it, it's good. And I, well, it makes me feel like I'm at least doing the right things that I can because I really do constantly focus on the gratitude, on what I can do, and I'll shift, you know. And yeah. I remember from long ago, you know, one of the, few really things I've distilled out, you know, is something Steve says, I think, is that, um, you know, everything, I don't want to ruin his words, but, you know, in response to, like, so many things, everything, is that it's always an opportunity for love. And that is something that has so stuck with me, whether it's giving love, receiving love, giving it to yourself. So I keep coming back to that. Um and so at least I am doing those two things to the best of my ability when I can. Yeah. Um, and also and being I think kind it's... to yourself in the process, not putting too much pressure mm-hmm. on yourself that you do it to perfection. I mean, again, this is very, very, these are deep suggestions. This is deep work. This mm-hmm. isn't. I think the deepest pain for me really in the end is the feeling of separation. So the condition is like separation that I'm not, you know, connected with other people. And that's what I guess you mentioned a minute ago too, is the ego. So whenever I can step away from feeling separate, um, that's my challenge, I guess. Yeah. Well, thank thank you you for sharing. Thank you so much. And we wish you well. Thank you for joining us Thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Callie. Thank you. That's the one, you know, we talk about before we take our next caller, that's um, the one that kept coming up for me when we were talking about the show, our because even when, and again, we want to be really, we want to really be um, honor these deep catastrophic experiences that people have. If you're dying, if a loved one is dying, if you're in the middle of war, if you're dealing with something very, you know, catastrophic and dramatic, um, if you are in pain, in most situations, in the purest form of this type of work, and it is, it's, it's a process. There is those nanoseconds of space that you can find. But if you're constantly riddled with something like pain that's constantly impacting and assaulting your nervous system, it's a very hard thing to find that space. So I commend anybody for trying and also your client. I mean, that's that's really very powerful. Um, let's take our next caller. Caller, are you there? I'm here. Hi. Who's calling? You, and where are you calling hi. from? I'm Jan, and I'm calling from Los Angeles. I think, Kelly, maybe... Hi, Steve. Hi. Hey. Um, Can you both give me an example of how you have lived through something that's like an overwhelming situation and maintained your presence? Mm. Um, You know, you said it's a very difficult thing to do, and I totally get that. And I, I would just love to hear from your example so I can get better at this. I mean, I've, I've had one experience that was quite good for me, but I would really love to hear um, how, how you've dealt with it. Great question, Jan. Thank you for the question. Callie, do you want to go first or um, second? Sure, I'll go first. Um, this is very present for me. <laughs> this is very current. <laughs> I was saying this to Steve yesterday. I feel like I am operating with so many spinning plates and layers and channels of things that are have been for a long time and continue to be circumstantially very challenging. And yet at the same time, I am getting more successful. In some ways, it's forcing my hand because so much, and I can be more specific. I'm happy to share some of it. 
Um, but it's becoming often so intense and could be so combustible that I have no choice but to kind of let them all cancel each other out and find the space in between. So it's kind of been this fascinating process. So for example, um, I've had some very, very deep, difficult challenges around both of my elderly parents uh, where there's mental illness involved and there's dementia involved and there's histrionics involved and noncompliance involved and just very, very challenging situation with the both of them where I'll often start my day with three abusive voicemails um, from my mom villainizing me for something because her mental illness is taking over. Then there's, mm-hmm. and I don't, I, I, I'm hesitating because I don't want to start, you know, complaining about my own stuff. I'm just trying to be specific with you. Um, mm-hmm. Challenges with people in my life or challenges at uh, work or um, places where I feel like I'd like my life to be more whole, money challenges that have been very persistent for the last seven years because of um, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, un- underemployment before I got my current job where I'm very happy to be and grateful for. Um, so that's just uh, f- friends with illnesses. You know, just there's a, a lot of things that are going on, and I find that it's mm-hmm. sort of forcing me to just from one thing to the other. Otherwise, I use the analogy a lot that I feel like the balloon's just going to explode and pop because there's too much stretching me at any one given moment. So I find myself just being super present in whatever conversation or whatever moment, or I'll make a point of spending more time in nature so I can stare at a bird for five minutes. Or um, I don't know if I'm articulating this right because it's so close for me. It's hard for me to actually speak it. Steve, maybe you, you know, maybe you can do it better for me than I can do for myself. But I think it's a combination of really committing myself further to my practice, um, Mm -hmm. remembering when I get pulled away from that, as Steve reminded me the other day, because I was getting pulled away from my practice and recommitting to that so that that refortifies that quiet space inside and the spaciousness, and then remembering to witness things more than being pulled into it. But it's a constant decision. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if, if I, I hope that helps a little bit, but it's just sort of an example of when you know, a lot of things are bombarding you at the same time. And all you can do is really just be in each one in that moment. And then also while you're in them, find the space so that they're not um, catching you, luring you in too much and doing a number, you know, on the, on the brain. For my, my, um, I'll give you a, a very big extreme experience. So 10 years ago, my daughter was going through a very difficult time and became suicidal. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know if she was going to do it, not do it, but it was very, very dramatic. And for, for the most part, um, I would handle it okay during the day, but I would wake up at three in the morning sweating and then I would pace the house. And this is an example of how I wasn't being present. Uh, I was allowing my imagination, my thoughts, my ego, my fears to take me over pretty completely. Sometimes I went to bed, sometimes I didn't. I'd stay up all night. So this went on probably for six, seven, eight months. And then I woke up one night again at three in the morning to be afraid. But what I became aware of is that being afraid for me was sending, uh, being overwhelmed and sending all of my fears to my daughter. All of my fears about what it would be like without her, all of my fears (laughs) about how she was going to take her life, all of my grief about how that was going to happen. And I realized if I changed the uh, picture, then I could be really, really present with her in a very different way. And so I made this decision to send her love. And and it turned out I was sending myself love. So I was sending myself love and I was sending her love every night when I woke up instead of fear. And that allowed me to be completely present, happier. Um, I don't know that she got happier. She did get over that. But it made my life a lot easier. 
So that's an example of taking something that was catastrophically overwhelming and turning it to my benefit and to her benefit. Does that connect, That's Jan? great. Oh, yeah, that does. Um, what that reminds me of, I'll just say this quickly. Um, uh, I was with my mother-in-law when she was dying, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in those final moments. And I remembered Eckhart Tolle, or Eckhart Tolle, I never know how to say it, talking about being in the present and not one breath in the future or one breath or thought in the past um, because there's no pain in the present. And so with her, I just stayed right with her breath. I I'd catch myself like looking at a fold in her ear and remembering my husband has that same fold, but that would be painful because that was the future. That was the past. Um, and when I stayed with her, with every single breath, there was zero pain. Wow. I, she wasn't dying. She wasn't anything. We were just there. And that was so immediate and so effective in that particular moment. And Steve, when you were talking about sending your daughter love, that, that was just, I, I was just present to loving her. Beautiful. It's the way love. You You're right. That. Love yeah. is the key. Yeah. <laughs> it really is the key. Thank you but both. Also, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. I love the way you just um, really separated out the moment, you know, the moment in front of a breath and the moment behind a breath. That's it right yep. there. That is, that's the present. You just did such a beautiful job of articulating our message for today. So thank you. Yeah, you have summed up the entire show. Yeah. yeah. Drop the mic. Drop the mic, Jan. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was really, that was beautiful. I love the way that, um, that she just uh, depicted that because that's exactly what it is. It's just finding that space. I, I've used this analogy a bunch of times before, but it's where meditation or mindfulness practices, we're going to talk about those in our action steps in a moment, pardon me, really come in, which is that, um, when you're, you know, I think I liken it to um, you're watching a, a play in a small theater and you want a front row seat so you can be completely enveloped and embraced by the drama that's playing out on the stage. And then the more you find your meditation or mindfulness practice or whatever yoga practice, whatever it might be for you, I feel like it creates an, an um, uh graduation of space where you slowly move back a row and another row and another row until you can actually walk out of the play before it's even complete because you don't even need to know the end of the story it's really like that much space is what holds you so i think um that's really what we're trying to get at today when it comes to separating Did you come up with that it's a fantastic I analogy yeah i like that one i came up with it about i don't know maybe two months ago and it's been sticking with me it's a nice way to kind of describe uh, what happens it should be in your book well maybe it will be good once my book exists <laughs> i've been told for about the uh, first psychic i ever went to told me i have to write a book and as you know there's one that's been percolating for a while <laughs> we'll <laughs> see um so a few other before we get to our action steps a few other um tenets of the power of now the other one is that emotions are a roadblock which we've kind of talked about today um, well, there are two things about that. Yeah. Um, emotions are very, very important to experience um, because they're part of our life path. Emotions give color and texture and pain and sorrow and laughter and joy to our life. So, you know, when he's saying they're a roadblock, it's important to understand that you do not, you don't want to deny your emotions. You want to have your emotions as fully as possible. And if you can have them and participate them in a very full way, you can move on from them. It's when we suppress them that they keep coming back and wanting our attention. So I would say emotions are important. They're only a roadblock if we don't experience them fully 
and they keep coming back to remind us that they're unfinished. Beautiful. Um, I'm having some technical difficulties, so I can't see anything right now. Except, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I can't see my notes. I can't see anything right now. Oh, I'm interesting. I'm just going to wing it. I can't see the clock either. And well, just I my can help you. We stuck. can wing so together. We're just going to keep winging it. We'll just wing it together. Um, the, the beauty of live radio. In the right? present moment, we are going to wing it together. Okay. All right. Great. I like that. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, but I, I need you to read the uh, our next our next points because I can't I don't have them in front of me. Let's see. If That's I fine. My phone. Um, but I, oh, the other one is about the mind body, right? That's the other final sort of um, tenant is that the the pain body creates more pain. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Which means. So should we talk about the pain body? How did Let's... you? That was an interesting term when I read it, because nobody had ever used it before. How did you interpret that? Um, I, you know, it's funny. It's an expression that I hear a lot that I'm not fully um, aware of, you know, mm-hmm. fully um, in, in, in tune with. Um, but my, I don't know. I would say that probably one interpretation is that we are, like you always say, we're kind of addicted to um, drama mm-hmm. and we create a lot of it unnecessarily in our minds. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I, t- if I interpret it as like physical pain body. Right. As I do like just the perpetuation of thoughts. Right. Um, So in that way, I feel like it's just, um, again, us being more mindful of how we get caught in the mind stream um, and how our pain continues to perpetuate itself. If that's if we don't pull ourselves out of it. So that's differently. I don't know. Do you interpret it differently? So that's really true. And uh, the way I see it quickly because we're coming to the end of our show (laughs) thanks for keeping an eye on the clock since i can't see anything okay and um the way that i see it is that these are the pain body is made up of all of the experiences that we have that we really haven't finished right and they collect and so on that note we are going to our action steps (laughs) So let's get to our action steps. So the first one, um, yeah, which I do remember off the top of my head, I might need your help with the other two, um, is, the, is, is meditate, is to find yourself a practice. If you have a practice, lengthen it. If you don't have a practice, start with five minutes a day and just see what it feels like to try to get present with yourself. If um, your brain gets tugged and you start thinking about what you're going to have for breakfast or what happened last night, you can view it almost um, as like logs that are floating down a river and you gently just sort of let the logs flow and you pull yourself back to where you are on the, you know, on the side of the river banks. I heard that I'm going to do the next two quick because okay, we don't have much time. Thank you. Designate a 10 minute chunk of time and write down every time you get stuck in the past or the future versus the present moment. And finally, take yourself out to the forest uh, or watch a sunset and in listen to music and allow yourself to surrender into that and we will see you next week with Deepak Chopra The Seven Laws of Spiritual Success Thanks everybody for joining us Thank you for listening This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world.